there is a growing trend in our real estate market here in Kamloops, and that is the purchase and sale of residential property that is tenant-occupied. So stick with us as we take a deep dive into the growing trend of tenant-occupied properties. We're going to look at the pros and cons, and we are definitely going to take a deep dive into the risks associated with buying tenant-occupied properties. My name is Parker Bennett, and I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make, their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market. Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Welcome everybody to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. I am your host, Parker Bennett here from Royal LePage Westwind Realty. And uh, today we're going to take a quick look at the market conditions for October 2023. Uh, We have a great show today. We're going to look at uh, tenant-occupied properties and the significance of buying and selling those properties. We have some special guests, recurring guests here, Audrey Shaw from our Royal LePage Westwind Realty. She's actually our broker. And Lisa Mooney right here at Royal LePage Westwind Realty. She's also a real estate agent. And uh, we're going to have a great chat with them and a a little deep dive into some risk associated with uh, buying and selling those properties that are tenant occupied. I want to start by looking at some stats for uh, September and October 2023. I want to go back in time a little bit and just sort of lay out the groundwork for what the market's done over spring to now uh, last year. So if we look at the stats for June 2022, uh, well over a year ago, our Kamloops median residential price was 760,000 buckaroos. If we move forward to June 2023, uh, the market went down 4% and is at $715,000 for a Kamloops median residential price. Now, if we look at September 2023, uh, that median residential price is $690,000, which is down 10% since June of 2022. So what does this mean for buyers and sellers? Well, it takes two to tango. There's always a buyer and there's always a seller. So 50% of the population in this transaction is in an improved condition, realistically speaking. Um, when the market gets into a buying, when it, when it favors the buyer, um, this opens the gate for buyers. A lot of people are focusing on the fact that interest rates are higher than they have been, but they're actually not higher than the average if they've ever been. Uh, 5.6, 5.7% for a five-year fixed rate right now. Um, is pretty average spanning the last 52 years of data. So what, what we've favored for the, for the last five to six years in, in our market anyways, has been the seller. It's been a seller's market. The sellers had the, the upper hand in negotiations and throughout that transactional process. But now the buyer is setting their feet in uh, the concrete here and they're running the show. And one thing to remember is that you know, if you were buying a house in June of 2022, when the market was considerably uh, more expensive to purchase in, if you're paying $760,000 for a residential home, you're probably competing to get that property. 
you're probably paying over ask. You're probably not able to do adequate due diligence on that property in order to to actually get an accepted offer. Although you might be paying 3.5% interest, um, I would rather pay $690,000 in today's market, even at the... even if you're paying upwards to 6% interest on a, on a mortgage, you're still saving yourself a pile of money. And so when we look at the real estate market from a macro perspective, yeah, the seller is not having the greatest time right now because the market's gone down over the course of the last you know, 12 months. Um, but the buyer, the other 50% of the transaction, they, they should be on fire right now. They should be looking at this as one of the greatest opportunities they've had in the last decade to purchase real estate with the ability to do their due diligence and the ability to uh, negotiate, which is something that not a lot of people are focusing on. Anyways, let's look at other factors that are going on in our market. In the first 16 days of October, that's where I'm pulling this data from. In the first 16 days of October, we've had 66 sales, okay? 36 of those sales are single family detached homes. I looked at the data, 46% of all the properties that have sold the last 16 days have had at least one price reduction done. That favors the buyer. The average days on the market right now in October for the first 16 days is 51 days on the market. That means properties are sitting for almost two months prior to them getting an accepted offer. Inventory levels, they're rising by 22% favors the buyer. These conditions are all making it a buyer favored situation. Um, One of the trends that we're seeing right now is that most of these properties, I would say at least half of those 36 single family detached homes are tenant occupied somewhere. Either the whole house is tenant occupied or the basement has a suite or the basement uh, has a suite and the upstairs is operating as a suite. And so a trend for real estate agents right now is that we're having to sell properties show properties, and then complete on transactions that have had tenants in them or has tenants in them currently. Growing trend in Kamloops for not only realtors, but buyers and sellers is the process of selling a tenant-occupied home. So that's what we're here to talk about today. I have two guests, returning guests, Lisa Mooney, real estate agent here, top 10 real estate agent here at Royal LePage Westman Realty, and Audrey Shaw, also a returning guest who has our broker here at the office as well as being a realtor. Lots of experience in this room. Welcome, gang. Let's talk about tenant-occupied properties. Thanks, Parker, for having us back. Yeah, sounds like fun. It's going to be a load of fun. <laughs> so it is a growing trend in our market. I can remember uh, 10 years ago, you know, if I was listing a property that was tenant occupied, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be my norm. It wouldn't be my everyday. Mm-hmm. Now I think I have eight, nine listings and probably at least a quarter of them are tenant occupied. And so we're seeing this more, um, from a, from a real estate perspective, the legalities of what we should be doing, what we can do, what we can't do. And then also like if you're a buyer or a seller, what you can do, what you cannot do, and maybe some of the risks associated with buying and selling a, a tenant-occupied property. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to cover today. So let's start with uh, the narrative of being a seller and you've decided to uh, market your property, whether it be a pure investment property with tenants up and down, or let's just say it's your personal residence and your basement suite has a tenant. Let's talk about... Um, 
the process of that moving forward, meeting a realtor, um, indicating that, you know, we have to sell a property that's got a tenant in the basement. First couple things that come up would be from a real estate perspective is, is what kind of tenancy, you know, what kind of a tenancy agreement had been signed with this? Is it a fixed lease? Is it a month to month tenancy? And in most cases, I would say in my experience, a month to month tenancy is probably what we're going to be up against. And we have a job as real estate agents to take some photos, to market a property, to get in there, to show it to other agents as well as consumers. And that's where the problems start. That is right. That's where the problems start. (laughs) Sometimes even it can be before then when, you know, the landlord is not giving the tenant a little bit of notice to say, I've even listed the house. So they see a, they see a a sign go up. Right. I think it, a lot of it comes down to communication. And I think from the tenant's point of view and when they're, in the rental market that we're in right now where it's it's difficult. They've been paying a, a certain amount for a number of years and then, you know, their first panic is what's going to happen to me. So if there's just no communication and no heads up, like Lisa said, like they just see a for sale sign, you know, I think they just automatically go to, we're going to get kicked out. Right. And and so that's when the, the anger and the emotion sets in and that's what can make both the seller and the realtor's life more difficult. So some of the listeners may be tenants at this point. So... Let's throw the eyes of them in front of us and and assume that we are a tenant and we see that for sale sign come up. Whether we've had the conversation with the landlord or not, if we're under a month-to-month tenancy agreement, what can we expect? Well, like you said, they're going to have to get in there to take some photos. And a lot of tenants don't want their property to be seen in the photos, so you have to have some written permission. Is it written permission? I would highly recommend written permission. Highly recommend. This is coming from the broker. (laughs) Okay. So can we, are we legally allowed to take photos or is that something, a roadblock that they can put up if they want? They can put a roadblock up for sure. Um, And so you have to be, you know, very careful. And, you know, sometimes we don't necessarily think of that because usually we're, you know, taking photos from the perspective of a seller and just trying to make sure that they, they look good and things like that. Right. But when you're looking at it through the tenant size, you know, is there family photos on the wall that could be, you know, seen in those photos as their personal property, things like that. Right. Right. So I always say, get their permission to take the photos. Um, And writing. Yeah. In writing. Okay. Um, Pro tip number one, if you take this out of the podcast would be if you have a property that's got a basement suite or it's an investment property, and you've just rolled on new paint and you're getting ready to write a new tenancy agreement, get somebody in to take some photos. One day you're going to want to sell that property and those great photos of a vacant unit is probably the best photos you can use in a real estate transaction. Mm-hmm. For, just make sure you're disclosing they were taken before. <laughs> yeah, right. roger that. Yeah, it might not look the same. Okay, so we, we need permission to get photos um, and then we also need permission to have access. It's, it's, it's written permission, 24 hours notice. So even on the tenancy branch website, they talk about communication and, you know, yes. So it's 24 hours notice is, you know, what it comes down to. But a lot of times you can work out a better schedule maybe for, for all parties saying to the tenant, Hey, I don't want to just keep serving you 24 hours notice. 
and and you being inconvenienced, can we set up time blocks? Can we set up schedules, right? Uh, that we can get in this day and this day. And this is where it comes down to a very gray area. And I've seen social media posts on both sides of this where... Rat the, and rave camels. Yeah, where, <laughs> you know, what is unreasonable? Because if the tenant refuses access for showings, then that is grounds that a landlord can go after an eviction for that. You know, it's not just that easy, like, oh, they denied a showing, we're going to kick them out by any means. But if it's a repeated pattern where, you know, they're blocking the sale of the home. But on the same time, the tenants have the right to refuse unreasonable access. And the word unreasonable is interpreted very differently. Is it unreasonable to have a showing every day, five days a week? Uh, a realtor and a seller might not think so. A tenant might think that's unreasonable. Um, we also have a duty to make sure that the tenant's belongings are secure. So, you know, one of the examples that the tenancy branch uses, is it reasonable to think that a, that a realtor or a seller can secure belongings for a two-hour open house to the public? Maybe that's not reasonable. Right. right. So that's where a lot of the conflict comes in is what is reasonable and what is not. So, yes, true definition, 24 hours notice, but there's that reasonality that you have to look at both sides. Sure. So in, in, for an example, at a realtor open house that we just had, um, a co-listing that me and Lisa actually share together, I was in the suites the entire time that any agents were in there. Yeah. So there was no real public in there, but still, that would be a requirement, mm-hmm. the way I understand it, for regular showings, is it not? Potentially to confirm, like if the tenants are requesting that, saying I'm not comfortable with anybody being in here, you know, my belongings are in here or whatever, then they could request that. And What that, if it's not requested? We allow, generally, realtors go in with their clients. Now, you can't just send any buyer into a house without a realtor. You can't just... No, no, for yeah. sure. But what's the responsibility of the listing agent for being present in a basement suite that is tenant-occupied? Uh in some cases, representing, I, I guess I got to use that word lightly, but you are an agent to the owner of the house. Yeah, I've never heard of anybody filing a complaint about saying that the listing realtor was not here. Right. Um, you know, I have been asked. Mm-hmm. I have been asked to be there. And sometimes it is, it's, you know, again, it comes down to what's reasonable. Are they going to have a reasonable claim that it wasn't safe for their belongings to be there with another licensee? Right, because right? the buyer's licensee is going to be there. They're under yep. the same rules and regulations that a listing realtor will be. But we have that with with listing sometimes too, right? Where the seller will say, "I want the listing agent at all showings present." Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So depends on the comfort level of the seller. And yep. an agent gets yep. to make the decision whether that's reasonable or not. Right. Yeah. And the tenant's probably going to go to the landlord, which is the seller, and then the seller is going to come to the listing agent and say, "Right, this is what I expect from you as my agent," and then that all gets worked out. Absolutely. Okay. So. Let's say we we come to an agreement on showings and we decide that Thursdays and Fridays are the best and from 5 to 8 p.m. is reasonable to, you know, let me know, but I'm going to have showings through that period of time, okay? And we run, so right now we're on 50 days, 51 days is the average days on the market. So a little over a month, we're going to be showing the property and if it's priced correctly, we should get an offer in that period of time. Now, when the offer happens, we still have a whole bunch of due diligence from the buyer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, appraiser, home inspector, um, could be a second showing in there from the potential buyers. Um, there might be all kinds of other requirements for that uh, tenant to go through. How reasonable is it to open the basement suite up to a home inspector for a three-hour incremental 
home inspection. It is a requirement of the sale. It's not something that we wouldn't reasonably see. And I think, again, it comes down to communication with the tenant right at listing time. These are some of the things that may or may not happen um, down the road. And then it's coming back to that conversation. Remember, we talked about this. I can't imagine that the tenancy branch is going to say it's it's unreasonable for right. a home inspector to be in there. Now, if we book five home inspections five days a week never going to happen, but that would be considered unreasonable. But to have a home inspector go through, as long as they understand, you know, you're welcome to stay while the home inspection is happening, you know, but this is what could potentially happen. I think, I know the complaints that I've gotten over the years are tenants calling saying, you know, an appointment was booked. Nobody told me it was going to be a home inspector here for three hours. Yeah. You know, I thought it was another showing, right? So again, a lot of this just comes down to Communication. communication, right? Yeah. Nailing and, it for sure. And the other thing is too, if if you're taking you're kicking somebody out of their house for that time, you know, just the communication, but thanking them and I've always been um very cognizant of, you know, especially when they're very friendly and and helping with the matter, that you know, I'll give them some gift cards and say, Go out for dinner while we're doing this or, you know, throw them a little something as appreciation. Yeah. It's it's time out of their lives, and they're not benefiting. If anything, they may lose their house from it. So, try and make it as easy as possible on them. I've paid off tenants. Um, typically, <laughs> if the house is if the house is properly priced, uh, I have this conversation with the landlord up front. But I'll usually pay per showing. Wow! Because if we're in a decent market and it's going to be fifteen showings before we should reasonably get an offer. Okay, just so this is not standard. <laughs> no, but if 15 showing is at the right price, I feel really confident that we'll have, you know, when you're listing a property where the challenges may be facing. Mm-hmm. And if it's going to be the communication of the tenant, if you give them 20 bucks every time you have a showing, it's a small price to pay to have an excellent communication and a, an excellent relationship. Mm-hmm. And money is a good team building exercise. <laughs> and so, so like there's that. no underwear on it the tends floor. To work. <laughs> Well, think about if you took them out for dinner, if you did that twice, that's a couple hundred bucks and like, you know, 20 bucks a showing. Yeah. You're not that far off. They're only a GC every time. Yeah. Just <laughs> just for the big one. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're into the inspections and stuff now. Yeah. Sorry. You got to leave your house for three or four hours. Still, so still some creativity there. Okay. I wanted to touch on this because I didn't really, I don't really know this and I'm looking for guidance from our broker on this. There is a clear distinction between representing the seller, who may be the landlord, but representing their tenant. Okay? I'll give you an example. As real estate agents, not property managers, we're not to be negotiating with them or serving them notice or any of these items. How does not calling them to give them indication of a showing not technically serving them notice for something that's going to participate in their dwelling? Um, so serving them a eviction notice and letting them know there's a showing. Two different things. Two different things, right? So, and I, I honestly don't think a number of realtors realize that they should not be serving those eviction notice because I. We're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've talked about like I've talked to many realtors over the years um, that didn't know that. So, um, but you're you're basically communicating as the agent of the seller to say there's a showing. Right. You're not providing a legal document. You're not you know, drafting anything, you're not doing anything that... You're not negotiating. You're not mm-hmm. negotiating, you're not, you know, and and I hear that sometimes, right? Like, oh, we're going to get the tenant to pay more rent and then they maybe they can stay and, they, and I'm like, you can't get involved in that, right? right? We're, unless you're a licensed property manager, which 
our brokerages are not. And so what if you do? What, what's the outcome? What could be the outcome if you're an agent and you're doing that? So I can tell you one, um, one of our agents recently got served um, a notice of advisement basically from our uh, from uh, BC Financial Services, which is our regulator. So this will just go in the file and, and you know, it's kind of a warning shot. You know, if you do this again, then you could be looking at fines or suspensions. And it was, you know, honestly, an honest mistake that it was an out-of-town property and out-of-town seller and our licensee was doing them, you know, customer service favor basically by serving the, oh. the notice 10 tenancy. Okay. Um, and the tenant complained, um, you know, didn't fight the eviction, but right. complained and was just angry about the whole situation and obviously found out how to make a complaint to BCFSA. And, awesome. And, and that's, you know, so the licensee was served with this notice of environment. You cannot do that. So I Googled on YouTube how to make a complaint to BCFSA. <laughs> It's there. <laughs> of course. <laughs> not hard is. to find. Yeah. Make it easy. Okay. So we're not going to be doing any negotiating. Um, we're not going to be serving notices for eviction, two-month notices, et cetera. We'll get to that in a minute. But but giving them the notice of a 24-hour showing in advance, that that's acceptable and common practice in our industry. Um, okay. Let's move on to um, post-inspection day. We have finalize the transaction in that it's a firm transaction. Buyer has removed conditions. Buyer is expecting to take possession of the basement, which in this case is a suite. Okay. Let's do the math on a two month notice. And then we'll talk about some risks that I've run into today, particularly today is what the 20th, 19th, Mm -hmm. 19th. It's my sister's birthday. Happy birthday. If you're listening to that. Um, so October 19th, if we were to be removing conditions today on a purchase and we wanted to take full occupancy of that property, we need to serve two months notice prior to the end of the existing month. So we would be serving notice prior to November 1st mm-hmm. and in November and December would be the two months that the tenant can stay. January 1st, in theory, would be our first earliest opportunity to occupy that dwelling. Yes, that's right. What's the risk of taking possession on January 1st, not pretending that it's not like a long weekend? And it's a... So I personally recommend putting some space in there, right? So if a tenant doesn't move out or, and it all depends on what's in the contract too, right? We're assuming that the buyers have legally asked in the contract for vacant possession and now they've provided the right notice to the sellers to give this notice because a seller should not be evicting the tenants unless they've received all the proper documentation from the buyer because they have an actual reason to, that they're wanting these tenants evicted. Which it, they cannot do and after until after subjects removed. After subject removals. Yeah, it and, has to be a firm transaction. And they need to be moving in or an immediate family member. Cousins are not immediate family members. You know, it is literally parents and children. Right. That is the only reason. So and not sisters or brothers, I found. Nope. <laughs> and it can't be just, we don't like the rent. We think we can get more money. It's like that has to be crystal clear that there's very narrow definitions of why you can evict a tenant. So... Right. Um, so the risk with doing the possession right away, like as soon as the first day those tenants are going to be out is, yeah, if the property is not in the condition that it was when we viewed it. Right. And now all of a sudden we have zero window as a seller to try and get that property back up. Cause if, and it depends, there's a couple ways that they can do it. The most common way that we see it is that the sellers are, or the, sorry, the buyers are not going to complete, meaning they're not going to pay for the house and take possession until the eviction process is over. Right. So those tenants will only ever be the seller's tenants, technically speaking. There is the odd time where, you know, the buyers might say, well, we'll move into the upstairs 
and then evict the tenants. And then, you know, once they leave in January, then we'll take over the basement as well. Then that would be their problem because those are their tenants now. Right. And there'd be costs associated with it because in a two month uh, eviction, you're actually going to be giving them back one month's rent at the end of the yeah. tenancy um, And the one risk that I learned personally years ago, because I had a, a tenant occupied property, we sold it um, probably around this time of the month. It was like, oh, sold sign's going to go up, so we'll just give the tenants their notice while I'm over there. No big deal. Um, the tenants, once they are served a two-month notice, they can find a new property and serve 10 days' notice to the landlord. And then they are still entitled to that three months rent. Yeah. Um, and we weren't able to move up our completion date, so my house sat vacant for two months, days. and yeah. then plus I was out the month's rent. So I was out three months. So the sellers just need to be aware that that's a possibility that could happen. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and we'll touch on that Again, just so that it's really buried home. But let, let's just assume today's date is the 19th. Okay. Let's say we remove conditions on the 30th of October. Okay. And we're going to serve notice prior to November 1st because this is realistic stuff. Mm-hmm. The time crunching for serving notice is real important. Um, as I read it on the Residential Tenancy Branch website is that... Um, there's certain ways you can give notice and certain ways you cannot give notice and mm-hmm. certain ways that we mm-hmm. give notice has, has a clock that doesn't just immediately start. That's the the scary part is I don't think people realize that. So, you know, yeah. Parker's my tenant and I send him a text. That's not allowed right. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, Parker's my tenant and I knock on the door on the 31st and hand it to him. It's deemed to be received right away. But Parker's not home, or I do registered mail. You know, they don't answer the door. They don't answer or the an door. Adult answers the door, and you hand it to them. Yeah, right. assume yeah. If you assume that they live there, yeah, right. So there's, but the tenancy branch has a really good. I don't have it in front of me, but they have a really good chart, very clearly defining the timeframes of all the different ways you can serve notice. So I have heard realtors say before, like, you know, we're removing subjects at 6 p.m. on the 31st. We're good, right? And I'm like, you're good, but you have six hours, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, are you confident you can get a hold of this tenant? Because it's not hard to find this information, right? If they're not properly served, they're not properly served. Right. Um, the other kind of wrench that's been thrown into this that I haven't seen a lot lately because we're not seeing as many subject-free offers. But um, in the spring, I saw a deal where it was subject-free signed on the last day of the month with notice to be served. But we now have a rescission period that right. we have to factor into this. So um, so they, you know, they have three business days that the buyers could rescind. So if all of a sudden, you know, subject-free offer comes in, Seller serves notice based on that. And then on the Monday, the buyers rescind that offer. We're in a whole heap of trouble. Right. I think they'll change the definition and I just don't think they've done it yet. So that it's not only a like a condition-free offer, but it's also a rescission. Yeah. You know, we've passed the rescission period. Mm-hmm. And I, I can just say like coming through the Thanksgiving weekend, writing up a deal, the rescission period was like six, seven days away because of the holiday and the weekends. Mm-hmm. And, there was a lot of, yeah, there was yeah. A, quite a big window there. Absolutely. Yeah, for, yeah. for rescission. So um, if if we have five days, per, like if we have five days prior to the end of the month, in my experience, it's better to send registered mail. Yeah. Because you have a five-day window when you send off registered mail and there's like a receipt that comes with that and it's just proof. Absolutely. Yeah. And it comes back to the fact that the licensee should not be the one Sending it. serving these notices. Um, and I've said, if if we're in a position where it's an out-of-town seller and, and you're simply trying to do it as 
you know, customer service, we can't, we're not licensed for it. Mm -hmm. So they either need to find a friend or somebody. And honestly, if it's been a difficult transaction all the way through and there's concern, you know, that these notices could be fought or there could be, you know, we, we really kind of want everything done properly is hire a process server. That's their job. Right. It's, I don't know, I'm ballparking 70 bucks, maybe something like that. Money well spent, in my opinion, to have a professional do it and know it was done right. Document it, knock on the door. So if we're, Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so seller, let's let's make sure we include that. Seller, not us as a realtor, is knocking on the door and serving in person. What proof do they have that that actually took place? I would take a witness, right? Right. And because, yeah, you don't want to sit in front of a residential tenancy board, he said, she said, yeah. scenario, right? Have a witness. I mean, in a perfect scenario, you're getting them to initial acceptance or something, but that's not always There's nowhere right. on that sheet for the for No, the that's not always sign. realistic, right? Yeah. So pictures, videos. Yeah. They could be altered. Um I, I know that being in front of the uh dispute resolution squad at the tendency branch that the texts do hold value, although they're not like definitive, they do hold value in uh a dispute. Yeah, I think they're probably used as a package of evidence, right? Package of evidence. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you're serving notice via um, regular mail, I think it's six days? Yeah. Six or seven. Yeah, I don't have the chart in front That's of me. That's so spooky but. because it's so such a random thing, the mail mail system. Yeah, personally, if I was doing any sort of mail, it would be registered mail so, right. so I can track it. Okay, so. but let's, let's, let's invent a scenario where the uh, tenant disputes the notice because technically they can, mm-hmm. um, they don't actually even have to have to have a reason to get in front of the tenancy branch at that point. If they just request a dispute, uh, what, what happens to the clock? So does it stick or do we change the, does that clock change? It's interesting. Um, we were involved in one, uh, two years ago where tenants were served legal notice. The tenant, it verbally was telling the seller and the buyer at this point, because everyone's kind of chatting yeah. at this point, that she was aware that it was a valid notice, mm-hmm. but she didn't have anywhere to go. Right. So I'm not leaving until I find a place to go. So she disputed it based on that. Um, and this was two years ago, so we were kind of right in COVID where a lot of things were delayed, but it delayed the entire transaction by five months. Wow. Yeah. And wow. because you couldn't get a hearing and very rough process here i'm not a lawyer but like you go to a hearing in theory the eviction is said to be yes this is a valid eviction um so they would tell the tenant that this is a valid eviction you need to get out um and then if tenant still physically doesn't leave like there's kind of lots of rumors around there where they're like well seller can go in there and knock down the door and put their stuff on the street yeah. no you cannot not without <laughs> um, a bailiff no you need to go to court get a court order which then would allow a bailiff yeah. to go in so I mean, if anybody's been involved in any of that, they know that that does not happen overnight. It does not. So, so. if you're leaving yourself a window, uh, a week is not enough. There's really no time frame. Yeah, it could take right? a long time. Well, in that case, you just told us it was five months. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, that was at the peak yeah. of COVID and there was lots of delays going on in all the systems. But, um, you know, even a, I'm hearing now, even urgent residential tenancy hearings are taking weeks. Like yeah. nothing's happening overnight. Nothing's happening today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the risk to a buyer in occupying or buying a property that's got a tenant in there, I think as real estate agents, we should be really involved in disclosing what those risks look like because there is really no perfect scenario where you're going to 
uh, remove your conditions on a property. The seller is going to serve notice. And then two months later, you're going to have a vacant property. It's just 98% of that probably is streamlined. But there's a there's a speed bump there where there could be like some friction. Yeah. And I think as real estate agents, we can probably foresee that. We can raise the risk assessment if we if we see if we see that there's a little mm-hmm. more risk in this particular property. Yeah. Sometimes there's bigger speed bumps than others. But uh, yeah, I've been involved in a number of them, uh, even sellers that don't leave. Yeah, and they I, have nowhere to go. Sometimes I, I you know I always tell you know, the, the licensees, you know, look at the property. And when, you know, when you have a buyer that's looking at a property that doesn't show well, it's dirty, there's scuffs on the walls, it's not been well cared for, and it doesn't have to be a tenant. It could be, like you say, it could be the seller as well. Yep. Their expectations of getting that property on possession, sparkly clean in a certain condition is unrealistic, right? Mm-hmm. So they really do need to be realistic as well. Like when we showed this property, yeah. the rugs were dirty. There was, you know, like, that is showing it in it on its best day. Yeah. So I think just setting that expectation and from the buyer side, I know I've heard of scenarios and I think that the buyers need to be very well educated about the rules. Yeah. There are very narrow reasons that you can have the tenants evicted. And if those buyers are caught doing it illegally or for a reason that's not valid, there's massive consequences now. You're talking 12 months worth of rent back to that tenant potentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually gets streamlined through the courts. Potentially. Yeah. It goes through the residential tenancy branch first. Um, And we're seeing more of them fought in court just because the numbers are now bigger. Excessive. So I think sometimes before, you know, even if a landlord was found to be you know, at fault for say $4,000, it wasn't worth going to court to fight it, whether they believe they owed it or not, they would just pay it. Whereas now when you're told you owe $36,000. Sure. Yeah. It's a big chunk of change. There's a more incentive, but I'm hearing more and more like, you know, realtors are, they'll phone me and they'll say, just showed this property. Buyers are super interested, but the tenants aren't paying enough rent. What do we do? Yeah. Don't buy the property. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the thing is so many of the houses that we sell now, have the suites, whether they're authorized, unauthorized, legal suites or not. There's just so many more of them now than there used to be. So it's no surprise that courts and residential tenancy branch are just overwhelmed with all these cases that are coming up. We're, we're such a litigious society now. Yeah, that we everybody... are. And I think that the buyers and the sellers need to understand that if a tenant files a dispute saying, I believe that I was evicted, you know, you said that immediate family was moving in and I don't believe you moved immediate family in. Um, and you know, it's not hard to find your, when you're advertising something on Facebook, GG, Facebook right? Mm-hmm. They, it's out there. And that's usually how I hear it happens, right? Yeah. They, they see it and, you know, it, it costs them $100 to file an application at the residential tenancy branch and the onus is on the owner to prove that they move somebody in. Yeah. It's yeah. not the tenant that has to prove it. It's the owner. And sometimes I heard there's cases where, you know, they legally move a tenant out and move a family member in like a parent or something and then the parent passes away. And then they see the place for rent and come after the the owner, the landlord. But realistically, they I think they look at it case by case, and sometimes Absolutely. there's a little bit of give. sure, yeah, Absolutely. Although I did uh, go through this on a personal uh, matter where there was suspect that it was just going to be re rented, that the tenant had uh, had uh, approached dispute resolution regarding uh, being evicted for incorrect reasons, but it hadn't happened yet. So they've been served the notice, but they actually haven't moved out. 
Um, but they were well educated that they were well aware that they were going to get moved out for the wrong reasons because the buyer just told them. Oh, right. <laughs> like in, in an, in a disgruntled argument. Right. And so they filed too, too early and the, basically the residential said, we can't prove that yet, but you can prove it next month. So that was an interesting scenario. Got the buyer straightened out real quick. We have a licensee that, uh, that their son was renting a place, um, in a different city, but son was renting a place, uh, first served an eviction to say, you know, that a cousin or something can move. I don't know who it was, but right away they were like, well, that's not legal. (laughs) Right. And then two days later, another notice, oh no, it's our parents miraculously that just changed. Right. So they right away were just, you know, suspicious of the whole thing. So uh, the the realtor's son's girlfriend, who also lives there, she spent not even 10 days after they moved out uh, just checking out Facebook Marketplace and stuff and popped up for significantly more than they were paying using the same photos that yeah. they used the first oh, time. Like Not too creative. Not too no. creative. So, yeah. yeah. So let's just highlight again. Okay, we're, we're serving notice to a tenant. First of all, it's not going to be a real estate agent in the transaction that serves that eviction notice. It's going to be yeah. the seller or the landlord, whoever's the agent legally, yeah. property manager. Um, two months notice can be given for a parent or a child that is going to be moving into that suite mm-hmm. or house in general. Or the buyer themselves, obviously. Or the buyer themselves, if they want to occupy the entire property. So here's a question. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So say it's the buyer that's moving into the basement suite, but they're going to rent the upstairs. Are they still allowed to evict the basement tenant? If they're going to be the ones occupying, occupying. that property, it would just probably be... A, it's not a great area that if that's what they're really going to do, it's just mm-hmm. a harder one to prove, yeah. Yeah. right? That you're, that's the only space you're occupying. That's where you're actually living. Just right. wanted to clarify that. Sorry to interrupt. Well, there would be definitely a, probably a different amount too, right? Like the upstairs is typically rented at a higher rate. It's the mm-hmm. daylight, it's the garage, it's the deck, it's the, you know, yeah. front door. Sometimes more bedrooms. More yeah. bedrooms. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. So just, just wanted to kind of nail this home. Um, notice has to be given prior to the end of the month. Mm-hmm. The following month would start that two months notice. A tenant can dispute for any darn reason if they have a hundred bucks, mm-hmm. um, which may or may not delay that notice, that two month window. Okay. Prior to possession, if you're a buyer and you're moving into an, a previously tenant occupied property, uh, you have no guarantees that it's going to be clean. You have no guarantees that they're going to be gone. If you've completed the transaction and you show up and tenants are there, they're now your problem. <laughs> like legitimately, they're your problem. Sellers got the money. There's no leverage to, to, to hold them accountable for anything. Um, we have the pre- rescission period to worry about inside that time frame window. So that clock needs to be passed, wound past the rescission period and past any sort of notice time frames that are in the Residential Tenancy Branch website. There's a two-day one, a three-day one, a five-day one, and a six-day one. I know those off by heart because I've carefully evaluated each one of them. <laughs> and illegal, illegal evictions now, the, uh, is it the maximum fine is one year of rent? As far as I understand, yeah, one that's, year of rent. That's becoming more of the, the norms. And, and like the, you can, if you Google, yeah. you know, tenancy branch decisions you can go through you can see them they're all over the media right now because yeah. the numbers like i just saw another one i think it was thirty-two thousand. right so these are massive numbers right 
Um, and if you're attempting to do a, the, the another, another one that I hear of um, is to do a massive renovation mm-hmm. and you can evict a tenant for the purpose of doing a major renovation. And I think that renovation has to include walls, insulation, like electrical, big anything. chunks. And we used to hear this all the time, like, oh, you know what? We'll kick the tenants out. We'll we'll replace a carpet. toilet. Yeah. We'll you know we'll we'll swap out some counters. And that's really what the change in the rules was to avoid these renovations. Right. So you actually, as an owner that wants to do. Um, an eviction based on a renovation, you actually have to apply to the residential tenancy board and they have to approve it before that eviction can go through. So us as licensees are highly unlikely to ever be involved in this because in theory, the buyer is owning the property at this point because now they need to pull Mm -hmm. permits. They need to prove to the residential tenancy act why this is such a major renovation and why the tenants can't live through it. And and why they, they need to be invited back at the end. Um, if it's over, and don't quote me on this, I'd have to look at it. It's over, if, only if it's over so many units, then okay. they get first right of refusal. If it's just one unit, they don't get first right of refusal. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but, and I will say like a lot of people are concerned, like first right of refusal at the same rent. No, first right of refusal at new at market, the new market, market at rent. At the new market yeah. value. Yeah. yeah. Because there is a world where you would buy a house that has a basement suite and the suite's really quirky and not, not even safe. And you'd be buying it to renovate that suite to make it more accommodating for fire egress and noise, you know, prevention between the two units and and just to make it cleaner and nicer and maybe new kitchen. And that doesn't necessarily fall in the way I read it as a a massive enough renovation. So, and and if you're doing stuff that doesn't qualify, you're going to be paying for them to live somewhere while you do the work. (laughs) I would say be just... Anybody that's thinking of going down that road is make sure they talk to the tenancy branch ahead of time, get very clear about what you need to be doing. Um, Like I said, you know, some people are like, well, you know, I don't need a building permit for what I'm doing. My thought on that is they're going to right away say, well, if you don't need a building permit, you don't probably need an eviction either. Right. So it's like I said, it's not something that us as licensees will be directly involved in because they would own the property at this point. Sure. But if that's what your buyers are planning on doing, you obviously need to educate them on what that looks like. But the risk for sure, because we shouldn't be educating them that they can do it. Exactly. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And making recommendations that'll be okay. Yeah. Oh, just put some new paint and carpeting and it's not like that. No. Cool. All right. We've, I think we've tapped out this subject. I appreciate, uh, the info and your time. I know you guys are busy people. So again, Audrey and uh, Lisa, thanks for jumping on the podcast today with me today. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thanks for having us.